Welcome to the Social Fishing Podcast. My name is Reese Creed. I'm a passionate angler and I want to share as much as I can about the sport we all love. On this podcast, we speak to incredible anglers, sharing a wealth of priceless knowledge, all to help you reach your fishing dreams. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's begin. Welcome to episode 12 of the Social Fishing Podcast. Now, in this episode, I hit the road and traveled down to Victoria, and I was lucky enough to sit down and talk with the YouTube sensation, Robbie Alexander. Now, there's a fair chance that you may have come across one of his YouTube videos at some stage because he has one of the most popular YouTube channels in the freshwater world, in Australia. Now, he is a top Aussie bloke who loves the outdoors, his family, photography, and fishing. He spends most of his time walking small creeks and rivers in north northeast Victoria, chasing predominantly Murray cod and trout. Now, what I love most is every single fish is as exciting as the next for Robbie. It's all about the adventure, the scenery, and catching a fish, whether it's big or small. Now, in this episode, Robbie tells the story about how he fell into fishing why he loves it so much, and the approach he takes to fishing. He shares plenty of tips for chasing trout and cod and some of the techniques he uses. We also get talking about his extremely successful YouTube channel, which now has over 28,000 subscribers. Now, Robbie talks about why and how he started the channel and why he enjoys it so much. He shares the reason as to why he thinks it has become such, such a success and why it's loved by so many of you out there. Now, Robbie shares his story also on freelance writing as well as plenty of tips for fishing in Northeast Victoria. Now, before we jump into this crack over an episode, with Robbie, I just want to give you an update on the free freshwater mini series. Now, if you are a regular listener of the podcast, you will have heard me talk about the free series that we have put together. Now, I've been talking about it coming sometime in September, and we now have a release date for this incredible three-part series. I'm so excited to share it with you. It will be available on the night of this coming Sunday, the 29th of September. So, remember that date. We have it set to be released at some stage during the night, but just keep an eye out on social media or jump onto our website and sign up to the email list and we will let you know all as soon as it becomes available. If not, you can just keep checking on the website that night. Now, we have been working on this series for some time and I'm so excited that it's finally come time to launch and share it with you. My goal is to share as much information as I can to help you catch more fish. And this series is just one way we are trying to achieve this goal. It's a three-part series that teaches you basics and fundamentals to lure fishing for Murray Cod, Golden Perch, and Trout. Plus, it still has plenty of awesome action, so definitely perfect for everyone and all abilities. Plenty of tips and plenty of action. If you do jump on and check it out, make sure you share it with your friends, let them know about it, and get them to have a look as well. Now, what also comes with the launch of the free series, uh, it's very, very exciting, is the launch of the podcast listener questions. That's right. You'll now have access to a social fishing account where you'll be able to submit listener questions and we will pick a handful and answer them in each episode. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say. We still have a bit of building to do, but it should all be ready for release this Sunday. Before we jump into this episode, I want to give a massive thank you to today's sponsor, which is Spotter Sunglasses. Now, if you're a keen angler, you'll know the importance of wearing sunglasses and more importantly, polarized sunglasses. Even on the weekend at Lake Windermere, when we were just there, we spent um, a heap of time fishing and having a pair of quality polarized sunglasses made a massive difference when it comes to sight casting golden perch. There was even a point there uh, where Murray managed to spot this giant meter Murray cod cruising in the shallows. I didn't happen to have my sunnies on for that minute there while I was flying the drone and I missed it. And it was crazy. I put the sunnies back on and the, the water just lit up. You cannot fish to your full potential, full stop. But when it comes to sight fishing like this or even walking a small stream for trout or trying to find structure in a river when chasing cod, you just need quality polarized sunglasses. They're extremely important and 
you can't beat the quality that spotters produce. Now, there are a range of lenses that you can use. Sometimes it can be overwhelming, but I want to share with you the lens that I use for fishing in lakes and dams when chasing golden perch at this time of year. My choice is the Nexus lens in the crown glass. Now, it's unbelievable lens for bright conditions, which is perfect for those open dams with lots of glare. Now, they are a mirror lens, so you can't actually, when you're looking from the outside to them, you can't see through them, but mirror lenses cut out a lot of high glare. So, perfect for those open waters and perfect for even driving in your car. And it's an emerald-based color, which suits our freshwater environment down to a T. If you're in the market for a new pair of sunnies or even an upgrade, do yourself a favor, visit your local tackle store and try on a pair of spotters and pick out the Nexus lens and just have a look at it. Look through the lens for yourself. Once again, guys, a massive thank you to our sponsor. Without them, we wouldn't be able to produce these episodes. So please give them some support just like they support these episodes. One other thing I want to mention before we jump into the episode with Robbie is we recorded this outside during the day. So there is a little bit of background noise, a few birds and a car here and there, but I'm sure you'll still enjoy the episode. So without further ado, let's jump in and talk with the YouTube king, Robbie Alexander. Welcome, welcome guys back to the Social Fishing Podcast and I'm very excited because I have an extremely special guest with me today, Robbie. Thanks for taking time out of your day to sit down and have a chat with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on your channel. You're welcome. You're welcome. Now, first of all, what I want to do is just mention we're out in the outback. We're outside recording this podcast, so you may hear a bit of bird noise behind us, maybe a little bit of wind, but it's pretty nice out here today, isn't it? I'm not sure whether you mean outback or outdoors, Reese. It's uh, it doesn't look like the outback. The grass is green, the trees are green, and there's lots of birds. But outdoors, it yeah. is magnificent. It's just beautiful. It is. It's incredible. Now, what I want to do in this uh, episode is I want to talk about quite a few things. But first of all, can you just um, just to explain where where are you from, where were you born, and how did you fall into this passion and this love for fishing? I was born in Wangaratta in 1975. I've pretty much lived there ever since, apart from a couple of years living in Albury Wodonga. I was born into a fishing family. My family has uh, a background in fishing in the Ovens River and in Wangaratta since the 1800s. My great uncles, their parents before that, my parents, my grandparents all loved fishing and it was just, uh, it was bound to happen. I was going to like fishing, whether I liked it or not. I was taken from a young age. I was taught from a young age and it's just something that I've, I've just loved. It's just like a family thing. Yeah, right. So it definitely came through the family. Absolutely. On, on, on every angle. Yeah, from my mum's side and my dad's side and my mum's uncles and my dad's uncles, they, they all loved fishing. So what kind of fishing was it like? Just in the rivers, catching carp or, or cod? For or, me? Yeah. What was your earliest fishing memory? Probably fishing locally in Wayne. We used to catch a lot of redfin in the ovens and King Rivers and a lot of carp and we'd try and catch cod, but there wasn't many around then. We used to do a lot of cray fishing and we'd go down to the Murray River down around Brimman and down below Lake Mulwhaler at Dufty's and Camptown there each year and go cray fishing and, and fishing. But mostly it was carp and redfin and just family times. Yeah, right. So do you remember the first fish that you ever caught? Do you have any memory of that or it was just all just... Oh, I can remember my first cod and I can remember my first trout, but I can't remember my first fish, so to speak. I remember catching redfin over at Lake McCohen at a very young age. Really? Lake McCohen? Oh yeah, I used to fish there all the time and I was because that was, that was my home ground. I um, loved the place. I've got photos of me with my late grandfather fishing over there back in the early 1980s and late 70s. Yeah, right. Yeah, but I can't remember the exact first fish. What about first cod? Tell me about that. The first cod that I remember catching was in the King River, just near Wangaratta. I'd ridden my bike out. I used to ride my bike down the river and catch carp and redfin all the time. And I'd ridden my bike out and I was, uh, I was probably 13 or 14. I was fishing with worms. I hooked a big fish and assumed it was a carp. And when I got it in, it was a cod probably about five pound. Back then I don't even think there was any size or limits or anything so of course I whacked it on the head Yeah. and there just happened to be a bloke about 200 metres up the river fishing with a Polaroid camera and he took that photo for me and gave it to me on the spot. This is back oh, wow. in the 1980s Polaroid, not the yeah. digital Polaroid that we have these days. Yeah. They were rare back then and I just happened to have a guy fishing near me with one. So that was the first cod that I ever caught and it's right where the Hume Freeway crosses the King River today. Yeah, right. The freeway and wasn't there then. You still got the photo? Floating around somewhere, but I'm not 100% sure where it is. Yeah, and then that just, that just would have started the passion. So I noticed you spend a lot of your time 
on small waterways. Now, because you know, in the fishing world, you've got the big impoundments, you've got big cod, big trophy cod. And I know it's the thing that just doesn't excite you. So why, why do you spend so much time on the small waterways? What is it about the small waters that you love? Oh, the number of things. One, they're close to home. Yep. I can be on a small waterway, the ovens of the King River, within five minutes from my front door. Then there's uh, the simplicity. I like being able to knock off work, drive down the river, grab a rod out of the back of the car and go fishing. If I was to go up to the big impoundments, I've got to hook a boat up and go through all the, the boat stuff and then tow it for miles to get there and it takes a lot, lot more time. And I love the wildlife and when you're in a really tight knit little waterway, you tend to see a lot more wildlife, see a lot more snakes, which a lot of people don't like, but I do. You just, yeah, I don't know, I just really like the, the seclusion and the privacy of fishing on a small waterway. Yeah. And, and the excitement, like, if I'm on a small creek or something that I know has got cod in it, you look at every snag as a potential fish holding spot. When you get down the Murray, to me it's just like a great big channel, it's the same width all the way through and not much changes, whereas on the small waterways, you never know what's around the next bend because it's different. If that makes sense? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I totally agree. I love fishing the small water. And any size fish to you would be an enjoyment, right? So, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. I've never been about bigger fish. If if I wanted to target bigger fish, I'd go downstream towards Lake Mowala and spend yep. a lot more time down there. But my ultimate goal is not is never to catch the biggest fish. I celebrate the big fish when I catch them, but I don't catch them very often. I don't target them. I just, To me, it's, it's more about the whole... Uh, the fishing, a holistic approach to fishing the environment, the people I'm with, the waterway I'm on, and the fish, and which a, usually are small. <laughs> yeah, but that's a great way to approach it because it means every trip you do, every time you go out there, you, you're going to enjoy yourself because there's so much going on, you at the environment, and even if you do catch one small fish, you still had a good time on the water rather than expecting to go out and catch something big and being disappointed. Absolutely. Look, I've never had an unsuccessful fishing trip in my life. I've certainly had fishing trips where... I haven't caught any fish, but I've never actually had an unsuccessful fishing trip. The success can come from learning new spots, learning new techniques, taking photos of the environment while I'm out there, learning, you know, why is the fish, why aren't the fish biting today? I might be able to put together pieces of the puzzle. So I've had a lot of fishless trips, but I've never had a fishing trip that I would consider to be unsuccessful. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's the way to be. So as many people, I reckon nearly every single person listening to this podcast would know is that you have an incredible YouTube channel. Tell me about the YouTube channel. Where did it start and why do you have such a passion for creating videos for yourself and for people to view? Well, I love cameras. I, just, I love cameras. I love photography. I've been a photojournalist for a lot longer than I've been a YouTuber. I loved photography right through the 1990s. I had film SLRs before DSLRs, which is digital SLRs. No coming out. Oh, yeah, yeah right. I had a heap of... You know how Canon have got the 5D? Yep. And the 5D Mark II and 5D Mark III, now 5D Mark IV. Yep. I used to have the film, the EOS 5, five frames a second film camera back in the 90s. I've always loved photography and cameras. And magazines, I wrote for magazines for a long time, and they're great fun, but like my friend Brett Corker used to say, you should start a YouTube channel. People would like to, to watch your adventures. So I took his advice and started it and it just sort of exploded from there. I uploaded a few videos and didn't think much of it and returned to the channel a few months later and suddenly there's like 40 or 50 subscribers. Yep. And I felt inspired, you know, people are digging this. Yep. So I made a few more. This, you know, there's 300 subscribers, then there's a thousand, then there's a couple of thousand and it just ballooned from there. So what do you do? You basically just film anything, fishing, trout, any fresh water I just adventures. film I film my fishing adventures like you hear the term vlog the Americans in particular are big on vlogging which is a video log of their lives yep I sometimes jokingly call it flogging you know it's a fishing log <laughs> so people like to just follow my adventures and I don't share all of my fishless trips but I do share some to keep it real from time to time but I um but I just like to share my adventures whether I catch one fish or ten fish and just people just like to en enjoy following what I do and for those who don't know, what's the channel? What's the channel called? Robbie Fishing. Robbie Fishing. And how many subscribers do you have now? Um, off the top of my head, it's about 28,000. Wow. Maybe 28 and a bit over or a bit under, around about 28,000. Now that's anyway. a good inspiration now, isn't it? Oh, look, 28, I love 28,000 people waiting for new content. Yeah, exactly right. I, I just love what I do. And it's not just about making videos. There's a lot of other positive attributes to being a YouTuber. Yeah. It's taught me a lot. It's helped my confidence. I do a lot of public speaking now at various conferences and stuff, and it's just it's brought it's brought the best out of me, and it's also given me a better understanding of of how the world works and how the the industry works, so to speak. 
So for, say there's a young kid out there who, who has experiences like yourself, who just wants to start his own little thing. Well, how did you get there? What, do you have any recommendations for them? Is it all about being yourself and being genuine? Exactly. I get this question numerous times every single day. The question normally comes through as, hey Robbie, I want to start a YouTube channel. Can you give me any tips? Mm -hmm. And the number one tip I give people is be yourself. Yep. Don't 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 try and copy me. You know, that that role's already taken by me. Yeah. You know I don't want to copy other people. I think early in a lot of my early stuff, you could probably see a lot of Rex Hunt in my videos because Rex was probably my number one inspiration. Yeah. Okay. But eventually you 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 move away from being someone else and becoming your own individual, and and that's the same with music. Like I'm a heavy metal fan, and if you listen to early Metallica CDs, you hear a lot of Judas Priest yeah. and a lot of Motorhead in their albums, but over the years they developed their own way. So it's okay to have people that you you look up to for guidance, yep. but don't just blatantly copy people. Go out and just be yourself. If you've got a lisp, use your lisp. If you've got a stutter, take advantage of that. Be known for your stutter. You know, Be known for who you are. Don't try and correct yourself and fall into some something that you think that the uh, in the the community wants to see. Right, so, so don't be fake because in the end it just won't get you anywhere. What people really respect in this day and age is genuine. Genuine, or, authenticity. Exactly. You so, just go out and be yourself. If you, if you sing when you're fishing, sing when you're fishing. Yeah. I cop a lot of criticism for that, but I still do it. <laughs> I try to. But you enjoy yourself. I do, and, and my mission right from the start has been to promote the fun aspect of fishing, you know. I know that I'm not the best fisherman in the world, yep. but I reckon I come pretty damn close to having the most fun. <laughs> I fall over and I leave it in and I just, things go wrong, I touch an electric fence or something, it all stays in and it's all part of the adventure and that's the adventure that people are subscribed to, not the big fish at the end of the, the, end of the battle. And that's why you've got 28,000 subscribers and people who enjoy the content. Exactly. So um, for someone who wants to get out there and, and film or write, do you have any other tips for them? Um, other than the being genuine part, if someone wants to start writing, what do you have any tips for them at all? If somebody wanted to start writing for a magazine, my advice, and I get this question occasionally still, contact the magazine. Choose the magazine you want to write for and contact them. Inside the cover of every magazine, there's normally contact details. Yep. I have to speak to the editor say, look, this is what I want to do. What would you want from me? Any magazine is going to want good quality content. So they, if, you, if you can write better, than me, then you might feel they might print you instead of me, sort of thing. It's a dog eat dog world, and, and and if you think you've got something to offer the magazine, contact them. Yeah, that's how I started. I started with Northeast Angler Fishing Magazine here in yeah, Wangaratta. I could have guessed that. Yeah, I, I, I messaged them. I said I want to write. What do I do? They gave me some guidelines. I wrote my first article. I think it was 2008, 2007. Yeah, and I never missed another edition of Northeast Angler until it closed. Yeah, wow. Yeah. It was received well. I got comments from people in the community about it, and the editor at the time, Bob Severi, told me he got some good feedback from my first story, and I just and I just sort of went from there. Yeah, wow, nice. So let's move on to some fishing stuff, some fishing talk. Um, if you've got a piece of advice, or what, what from what you have learned, I want to ask, from what you have learned and from your experience, what has made a massive difference in your fishing? I know, I know, like even if it's a technique, an approach, a style of fishing that you do. What's something that you've learnt that makes massive difference? Probably being willing to learn, being open-minded to learn. A lot of people think they already know everything and they don't want to take on any new information. That's, yep, totally I, agree. I'm the first to admit, you know, if it wasn't for some of my friends, particularly Sandy Hector, who we sometimes know as the camo man, we don't see each other as often as we used to because he does a lot of triathlons and mm -hmm. stuff and we've just got our own separate lives and I work a lot of yeah. weekends. But he, a toy, he taught me a lot. And a good example, I made a video just a couple of weeks ago about blades, fishing with blades and how the back hole keeps the lure upright and creates the best vibrations. And it was actually Sandy that taught me that. Yep. He's a very smart man. But because of my willingness to learn and my openness to say, hey, I don't know this, I'm not an expert, I'm going to listen to what he's telling me, I was then able to collate the information that he taught me and make my own video and, and be successful. So I think it's very important that no matter how much you know, yep. you're still willing to learn from others. So basically don't pretend or don't act like you're the smartest person in the room. No, nah, absolutely. And take on advice. Take on advice. Yeah. You know, if, if I wanted to go and catch big cod, like some of the big cod that you catch up in the lakes or some of the big cods that, the cod that Rod McKenzie catches down in the Lower Murray, I'd ring Rod or I'd ring you. You know what yeah. I mean? And I'd, I'd say, how do I do this? If I went up there and just tried to do it myself, there's a fair chance I'd fail. So a real key to success is just knowing 
that it's okay to ask if you're not sure rather than yeah. just trying to be the guru. 100%, 100%. So you're based northeast Victoria. This is one of the most incredible parts of the country I've ever seen. There is incredible hills, great bush and awesome rivers and creek systems. Uh, so what are some of the key locations in the area? What are your favorite spots to fish uh, for both cod and trout? Let's start with trout. What's, a, what's one of the good trout waterways in the area? The Ovens River upstream from Bright is a really good spot. It's got probably the best natural flow, particularly in dry years, and it's normally the coolest as well. Yeah. There has been times where I've seen it come really low. I think 2007 was the last time it, be, it almost dried right up. Really? Almost dried up? Almost. The Ovens River, it's amazing. But they, they actually will pump water out of the big old dredges up at El Dorado just to keep the river flowing okay. for no other reason. So they've got that as a backup. I've seen them do that twice in my lifetime. But it's also, it's a shady river, it's got good riparian vegetation and it's just a good trout waterway. That's probably the best. The Buckland River is hit and miss. Some years it's really good and some years it's not great. I think probably the most consistent would be the Mittermitter -Mitter River. Yep. And that's due largely to Lake Dartmouth. Yep. The water comes out of the bottom of the lake where it's really cold and provides good habitat for trout. So the Mittermitter -Mitter River anywhere from Estale upstream is really good. And the little streams and stuff that run into these rivers are always worth a try as well because obviously there's trout in the main river, they're gonna swim up the creeks. So the Mitter would be good even in the middle of summer because the water would be cold coming out of the bottom. Whereas some of those creeks, the trout can struggle in the middle of summer, can't they? Oh, absolutely. And they'll just go to, what they t tend to do is find the deepest hole they can find and sit at the bottom under a ledge or the shade and just try and ride it out. They go off their food, they stop eating and they'll sit there for weeks until the conditions improve. But yeah, the mid is a bit cooler right through summer. It depends how much water they're letting out of Dartmouth at the time, but yep. usually they're letting something out. Yeah, okay. And cod, cod in the area. What's a good area for cod? They're everywhere. You know, people get a bit annoyed with me because I talk about their favourite fishing spots, but at the end of the day, you know, you can catch cod in the Kiwa River, the Mitter Mitter River, the Ovens, the King, the Broken, the Buckland, no, not the Buckland, the Broken, the Goulburn. They're, they're, any river that's not a trout stream pretty much has got cod in it these yep. days. The Ovens River, which is where I live, is my favourite. It's probably got the greatest numbers, but the, because there's so many, the, the average size is a bit lower. Oh, really? Yeah, because there's just there's a lot of mouths to feed in that river. Yeah. Um, but that's that's my favourite spot to fish because that's my home ground. Yeah, of course. I can't knock off work and then be down below Lake Mawala on the Murray River with two hours to spare. Mm. Whereas I can knock off work, duck down the river and fish for a couple of hours locally and catch a few cod. So there's, there's Victorian fisheries spend a lot of money on fishing and fish stocking, fish habitat, they're not going to allow a river to not have fish in it. Yeah. Okay. So the low, the low land reaches pretty much all their rivers have got cod in them. Yeah, so that's what I love about Victoria, uh, the fisheries, they're, they're really on top of it, which means there's so many good waterways in Victoria where you can just pull up and your chances of catching a fish, trout or cod, are pretty high. Absolutely, absolutely. And the Ovens River's not stocked. It was stocked, I think it was 1990. Wow. Because during the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of poaching and illegal fishing. The, the yep. fish, the cod were all depleted. And then the redfin were introduced and they just boomed because there was no cod. Then I think it was about 1990 or 89, they put like 100,000 cod between the Ovens and the Buffalo Rivers. And they've never stocked it since. They're all natural recruiting natural. now, but as soon as the cod got a stronghold, they ate the redfin out pretty much. The redfin numbers depleted. Then they put yellow belly in there in the 90s, and the redfin all disappeared, and the cod have been naturally recruiting ever since. But most of the other rivers um, received cod stocking at some point in time. Rivers like the Broken River, because of Lake Nilakuti, they don't get that spring flood. If we got a really good amount of rain now, and we've got enough to, to flood the ovens, yeah. that would help the cod spawning. Yeah. But in the Broken, it'd all get held in Lake Nilakuti and the Broken itself below Benalla would may maybe see a slight rise and that'd be it. Yeah. So because the spawning is so crap, they've got to stock it. And it's the same with the Goulburn as well and, and a lot of others because of the lakes. They just don't get that natural flow that the Ovens River gets. And that's why the Ovens doesn't need to be stocked, whereas the, the others do. But the upside to that is because they're stocked every year, it makes it sustainable fishing. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's the issue, isn't it, with, with impoundments and walls and weirs, is it's really disrupted how the fish is have they evolved over many years and how they breed and things Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. It's, it's created a lot of issues. It has. It holds the water back and prevents the natural flood, which prevents the spawning. Yep. It also can act as a trap for some species where the fish will swim up out of the lakes and spawn, then the eggs will drift down into the lake and die in the bottom of the lake. Mm. And then there's the actual, there's not a lot of plankton and stuff in the lakes for fish fry to eat. So 
fish that spawn in dams generally don't survive. They spawn, they hatch, the eggs hatch and survive a few days. And that's why they don't have closed seasons anymore on Lake Eildon or Copeton. And I think there's a blaring that's open. Yeah, and there's a few in, in Queensland as well. So, yeah. and it's, it's, it's for that. And I know that they're doing studies on more lakes now because they have to actually study it to just double check that they don't survive yep. and see what the survival rate is. And then if they don't, they pretty well can open it and yeah. create this new fishery. So we, we, have you got any tips for fishing small waterways for cod? Walking along a bank, if you're, you know, walking along, what, what key lures would you cast in a small waterway? Have you got a go-to lure? I know that's a, that's a tough question because it depends on the time of year and the structure. And then also, do you have any other tips for anglers walking along small waterways? My greatest tip, as silly as it'll sound to a lot of people, is don't be scared of snakes. So, it's true, it's, it sounds silly, but so many people won't walk through the long grass to get to the good spot because they're worried there might be a snake there. Yeah. I put gumboots on and I just own that, you know, I just walk straight through it and I get to the spots that other people don't fish as much. And I think my love of reptiles and snakes is an asset to me on small waterways. But as far as lures go, yeah, it does depend a lot on the, the clarity of the water, where you're fishing, what the fish are doing. Probably a good tip is the change. If what you're working, what you're doing is not working, change. Yep. Sometimes you might watch one of my YouTube videos and you'll see that I'm catching all my fish on a hard body. But what you won't see is the first hour where I was casting spinnerbaits. Mm -hmm. I just didn't get any fish. Yeah, so right. I switched to a hard body and, and sometimes it's the other way around. I might catch fish on a spinnerbaits because hard body didn't work. My rule of thumb is, you know, a brighter coloured lure for murkier water. Yep. I like, I like the old mate lures, they're quite good, they cast really well, the bright coloured ones, but any bright coloured diving lure is going to do the job. And you'd be confident even in, in the waterways you fish, a, a brighter coloured lure working well? You're yeah. confident with that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. When I go right upstream into the really clear water, up in the sort of the, the more montane sort of waterways, yeah. I like to go a more natural colour in the really clear water, but I'm talking water with a clarity of like two or three metres or more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the real clear stuff up, up where you get the trout crossover with the with the cod yeah. kind of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about I know because I've come down and fished with you once before, and one thing you were telling me while we we're there is is the importance of being quiet in the small water. Yep. So obviously you think that walking heavily or talking loud, the fish can hear that. I I think they do. They be, I believe from what I've heard, fish can't hear. They can't yep. hear us. But if my theory is if you walk up to a lagoon where you can see carp feeding or in the surface, the moment you get too close, they all take off. Yeah, yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? So whether they can hear us or whatever, they know we're there and yep. they bolt. And I, I can't see why that would be different from the other fish. And I often catch more fish when I'm on my own than I do when I'm with someone mm. because I'm quieter and there's something there, but I don't know exactly what it is. But it goes back to if you walk up to the side of your fish tank, your goldfish come towards you looking for food. They know you're there. Yep. And if you walk up, like I said, to a lagoon with fish in it, you'll see them take off. You'll see the swirls where they've all gone. And even when I'm bait fishing for carp in small, more small creeks and stuff, I'll be getting a nice bite. I'll get up and dart down to my rod to set the hook. They'll see a big swirl and the bite stops because the yeah. fish knows I'm on the way. And see, I, I believe in being stealthy. I think it, it, it can't do any harm. Well, I agree because when you're, say, if you're swimming, right, say you're swimming in a pool, friend's pool, if they're yelling, and you'll say you do a dive into the water. If someone's yelling up above, you can, I know it's, it's, it's sound, but that hits the water and it turns into vibration. Yeah. So really fish feel through their lateral line. So they yep. feel vibration. So that sound creates vibration, which to them is not natural. Basically, Absolutely. they're going to feel it. And well, that's what their lateral line is for, for sensing vibration for, for two reasons. One to help them find food and one to help to alert them to danger. Yeah. And any, anything unnatural is obviously dangerous. Because you ever think about it, some of these waterways, right, a cod will live on its snag for its whole life and it spends 24 hours on that in that area. It might travel a bit here and there and yet we have our busy days going to work and we're actually only out there trying to target them for a very small fraction of their entire life. Yep. So if they're left untouched, there's no danger, there's no humans around, that minute there's a noise or there's... It's not normally there. Yeah, exactly. straight away. To the fish, they're going to sit there and wait. They're not going to feed in that moment, are they? No, that's exactly right. So, it, yeah, totally true. Being stealthy on those waterways is very important. Now, I know you're excited because trout open season is here uh, this weekend. We're recording this just before the trout opening season for Victoria, but you're going to listen to this just after by the time it gets to you on the podcast apps. What is your plan of attack? You're chasing trout. What's the go-to? I never know until the night before, and that's the honest truth. Every year, I'm, I'm, all I know is I'm fishing with my mate Straubs, playing gardener. <laughs> it's always a lot of fun each year, a bit of banter. 
Um, at the moment, there's last time I looked, it was 10 to 20 mils of rain forecast for the Wayne Grove really? area on Thursday before trout opening tomorrow. Wow. And there's uh, the Mount Buller forecast is 20 to 40 mils or 10 to 20 mils. So I don't even know what the weather conditions are going to be like. But the, the plan of attack is to get out early, assess the conditions, and make sure I take lures as well as bait hooks and worms because I could be prepared for all situations. Because if the water turns dirty, you're going to have more success with bait. Yeah, because the rain the rain will wash a bit of topsoil in, which is why the water's dirty, and there's worms living in that topsoil. So as soon as we get that rain, and that dirt and topsoil gets washed into the water, the trout automatically go on the hunt for worms. Right, so they're they're, they're feeding based on scent. They're not they're not looking for a live bait fish or something you're trying to imitate. They're they're looking for worms. Yeah, if the water's clear and they see a live bait fish, I still eat it. But I think on the whole, worms are just easier in the higher water. Yeah. So say it doesn't rain, what's the plan of attack? Depending on the water flow, I'll be taking soft plastics, small soft plastics, minnows, and bladed spinners. And the choice, so that they're just they're just basically a range of good lures that you'd use for trout in any situation. Is your plan of attack to go to a smaller water? You don't have to tell me where, but a smaller waterway that's away from everyone, or yeah. are you going to go to just a, a larger waterway? Is this, if someone's out there now, they're just fishing. It's the start of trout season. Are they going to have more luck avoiding the crowds? I'll be going to a smaller waterway, one to avoid the crowds, and one I've got some good private property access. And that's one of the reasons I don't actually tell a lot of the time where I am, because I'm accessing through private property. Yep. I have got one spot in mind that's accessed through private property, but once again, it depends how much rain we get in that area the night before. I'll um, get up early Friday morning and look at the rainfall gauges and to see where the rain's fallen and, and make a decision based on that. It's amazing how much the weather impacts the fishing, doesn't oh, absolutely. it? Absolutely. It's not only just if it's comfortable when it's raining, but if you get a certain amount of rain in one catchment. And that's that's what you learn with experience is if, you know, some waterways can handle more rain, so you'll know where to go. So as you were talking about with learning, learn as much as you can. And that comes not only down to techniques and tactics and lures, but also the how the weather, yeah, how the weather affects the fish in the area that you fish all the time. One, one creek that I fish is very rocky. So even a lot of rain, the water is generally quite clear, but it's hard to wade. You know, the, the other creek that I, I fish a lot early in the season isn't rocky. It's got willows on the banks and muddy banks and a clay bottom. And a bit of rain will dirty the water up a lot quicker than it will the other creek. Yeah. That, but that creek's easier to wade when the water's high. Yeah. So do I want to wade a high, do I want to fish a creek that's uh, got dirty water but the wading's easy? Or go over to a creek with clear water and, and my blackberries and cold and... <laughs> <laughs> those two creeks are quite close together so we can make that decision on the day but that's good that's good for people who are out there just learning about fishing those those small things like if it's going to rain and you've got a rockier waterway chances are you're going to have clearer water and it's just those small things like that that lead to more success don't they absolutely the more you learn. Yeah, you. yeah so um i know you chase murray cod on surface a bit in the summertime yep. what's what's your go-to lure and what time of day do you prefer to fish with surface lures? Last year, I caught a lot of cod on a surface lure called a Depths Buzzjet. It served me really well. But just before the end of the year, I've got a mail time section on my YouTube channel, and I received a packet from Tackle Club, and it had in it some Demiki air, fro air frogs. They're yeah, really small. Little soft plastic, they're four inches long. Oh, okay. Demiki air frogs, and oh, this just looks so cool. I've got to use these, and I took them out. It was late in the season, it was like April or May. When I say late in the season, it's late in when it's good anyway. Yep. The season's still open for a few months, but I caught one cod on, but I'm really looking forward to doing a lot more work with them this year. They're just, they're fun. I love fishing soft plastics on the surface. It's just fun. So what are they? Are they do, you, do you have to, how do you work them? They're a frog. They've got air inside them. They've got a weight in the middle to allow you to cast them, mm -hmm. but they're, they're designed so that they've got air pockets either side so that when the lure lands, it automatically rolls onto its stomach, so it's always facing the right way. Um, they've got two legs. You can just re retrieve them straight across the water, and that'll make the legs just spin around and create a bit of a vibration, or you can hop them. You can just hop them and make them look like they're a frog jumping around on the water, or a combination of both. And that even when you just, even though, because it, it's a lot more subtle than, say, a paddler style lure, the, the cod still find them? Absolutely. I think in dirtier water they might struggle a bit if the water's really dirty. Mm -hmm. But in the water, like where I am around Wayne Grader and most of the northeast Victorian waters, they're going to be more than adequate. I have caught cod on surface soft plastics in the past. I used to use one a long time ago called a, a Z Man Pop Frog or Z Man yeah, Pop, Pop Frog. frog yeah. Th these are similar, but they've got the air pockets inside them to help them sit upright every time. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So uh, moving on, what if you got one tip, one tip for chasing trout? I'll give you a minute to think about it. What, 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 what would it be? If someone's new to trout fishing, 
they've learnt as much as they can about the lures, the rod, what they need to do, blah, blah. What's one tip that you can share with people? My tip would be patience, the three Ps. Patience, persistence, and perseverance. Yep. Move or just go out, go fishing, choose a stream, go fishing, and, and if it doesn't work, choose a different stream and do the same thing. Eventually, you'll find fish. When you find fish, when you find a creek that's got fish in it, then continue returning to that stream to hone your skills. Right. The hardest part in this day and age is actually finding where the fish are. Because we've had a series of drought and, and bad summers, there's been fish kills and there's pockets of trout now. Instead of creeks being full from top to bottom, they're in in isolated. They're in the shady sections or the sections that don't flow up. My biggest tip is move around and explore and look for different places. That's how I know so many places because I spent a lot of time and a lot of money on petrol <laughs> driving around finding places. Yeah. But then when I find where the fish are, I can return to those those spots regularly, have success, and also learn each time I go. I think something that people do a lot these days is they ask other people. They go on Facebook or whatever and they, I get the messages all the time. 99% of the time, people are going to give you a bum steer or they're just going to give you a blanket location. You know, try the Ovens River at Bright. But if you go out and do the hard work yourself, yeah. you will then become a better fisherman because you'll learn how to hunt trout, how yeah. to find where they are. And once you start catching them, then your confidence is increased, then you know you're doing the right thing. Then when you try other spots, you know you're doing the right thing and it's just a case of whether the trout are there or not. So my biggest tip is to just be patient and, and just keep persisting. Just try keep trying different spots until eventually you find somewhere where there's trout. Well, I love what you said then, and it's not only the fact that you are looking for the, the right spot, you're also spending time and experience on the water, testing different techniques in different situations. So you're kind of doing two things. You're not only finding good spots, but you're honing in your skills. You're becoming a better fisherman. Yeah. Simply just messaging someone and asking, where's a good spot to go, might help you in the short term, but it's not gonna, you spoon feed people too much, so they don't become good at their craft. Yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so how about redfin? Have you got one tip for chasing redfin as a species? Redfin do my head in. I love redfin. I catch. I actually caught one yesterday. It was a fluke, but I um they vary so much. Waterway A might be great this year, and Waterway B might be dead next year. They might both be great, or they Isn't might both weird? be dead. They Isn't just come and weird? go like nothing else. Um, yeah, they, they come and go, and, and the, the thing with redfin, the thing, I, I think they vary from waterway to waterway so much more than any other fish. Yeah. Lake William Hovel doesn't really fish well for redfin until after Christmas. Right. It normally starts about January and it peaks around about March or April. Yeah. Whereas Lake Kerford and Lake Sample up at Beechworth, they'll start fishing well in September, October. But you mm. won't catch a redfin at Lake William Hovel that time of year. Similar altitude, similar climate. S it's, same fish, but... Same fish. Just, they vary so much from waterway to waterway. Some years are better than others. Once again, it comes down to persistence. Yep. I know there's been some great years up at, is it Burrenjuck or Blaring or something yep. where they catch the, the Blair, redfin? Blaring, they used to catch a stack of redfin and then they had a big kill. Yeah. Uh, and they all basically just disappeared and now there's a few coming back here and there but they yeah, used to catch tons and tons gugong in in just the other Canberra. side of the act yeah. yeah yeah gugong's full of redfin but like you said it, it depends every and it doesn't just go for redfin but a lot of species differ from waterway to waterway but as you said from your experience redfin do it quite a lot oh some of the creeks i fish like we'll, we'll catch redfin in them then we'll catch nothing for 10 years and all of a sudden you'll go out there and catch 20 redfin <laughs> yeah, they just come i don't know where they thought they fall out of the sky they must get washed in from people's dams or something. I don't know. They're, they're a very mysterious fish, redfin. Once again, I think it's similar to trout. It's a case of moving around and finding where they're running hot. Yep. You know, because they might be running hot in one waterway and not another. Something else I could never work out, down in Melbourne, they catch a lot of redfin during the winter months in all the little, like, suburban waterways. Yeah. Any of the small waterways like that up here, we can't catch redfin in winter. They're, yeah. they're almost dead. I put it down to maybe because they don't get frost in Melbourne, it's not as cold at night time, but that's, that's a guess. Yeah, that, yeah. That might not be right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you were going to one of the lakes chasing redfin, what, what would be a lure that you'd tie on that you'd be confident in? A two-inch strike tiger uh, curl tail grub in white bait pool. Right. Or even the, the strike tiger nymph in white bait pool. It's only a really small soft plastic. It's about, about an inch long. Yep. But... It'll catch small redfin and big redfin. It's a good way to test the water. Once you start catching a few small ones, if you're sick of catching small ones and you want to upsize, put on a three-inch grub or something bigger and try and thin out the men from the boys. But if you just want to try and find where the redfin are, I'd go with a really small lure like a soft uh, striped tiger nymph. And do you fish them quickly or slowly? Because redfin are... They're not a... 
super quick fish, but they'll hone in on a lure pretty well. I pretty find light. when they're slow, particularly in the winter months, um, a lure scent and a really slow retrieve, in the summer, it doesn't seem to matter. If they're, if they're awake and they're active and they want it, they'll take it. They'll take it. They'll take it, yeah. But in the winter, sometimes a slow retrieve, keep it in their mouth as much as you can, and even a bit of lure scent to just help entice a strike will help. Yeah, yep, yep, for sure. So, let's talk about, I know you've caught a lot of fish, I'm gonna say hundreds, probably thousands over the years. Do you have one memorable catch? Do you have one that you can remember and just remember that was an incredible night, you remember it like it was yesterday, and can you, if you do have one, can you set the scene, tell me wh when you caught it, what it was, what on. Do you have one? Do you have a I've story? Got, I've got a few. Probably one that jumps out to me is my biggest ever trout. It was 68 centimetres. Wow. It was the Kiwa River. It was 10.30 at night, and I had my wife Loretta with me, and I had a really bright headlamp. My dad had just given me a headlamp for Christmas presents, only probably four or five years ago. And we were looking off the bridge at Red Bank, into the river and we could see a few fish swimming around and native fish when you shine the torch in the water they go straight for the snags but the trout seemed to be happy to hang around and I was dangling this striped tiger nymph off the bridge next thing you know it hooked up and there was I didn't realise just how big it was I thought it was two or three pounds it's a good fish when I hooked it all hell broke loose it must have been a good six pound or more and um, I remember Loretta climbing down the steep bank in the dark and I said to her don't worry, they haven't got sharp teeth. And she put her thumb in its mouth and ripped her thumb open <laughs> on the teeth. <laughs> and that was probably one of the... I don't keep a lot of trout out of streams, but I kept that one because by the time Loretta had got to it, and I just had to get a photo. It was my biggest ever trout. It had been out of the water for a while, so we ended up cooking that one and put it in the smoker, I think. But that was a memorable catch. And ironically, my biggest Murray cod, which is also one of my most memorable catches, 98 centimetres out of my old canoe, was also Christmas Day. The year after, or two years after, a couple of years before actually, I was um, we'd had a bit of December rain. The rivers were high. I was in Wang in Wangaratta, yeah. And the um, I was pretty quiet. The fishing was quiet. And then I just cast me uh, stump jumper out. Then bang, just under the surface, a fish hit it and 98 centimetre cod on my own. I took a photo of it with my phone. Back then, the phones had like a 3.2 megapixel camera <laughs> or something, and they took a tiny little photo. But that was, say, two of my most memorable catches both came on Christmas Day. Yeah, wow. So the, so the cod, were, were the fish biting? Were the fish chewing that day? Or was that the only I had you... two strikes. I missed the other fish and I caught that and that was it for the whole afternoon. Yeah, right. And did he fight? Did it fight hard? Did you know oh, yeah, you, knew you were on? Hard. So you, yeah. you hooked up and you're like, yeah, this is bigger than a this normal... This is a good fish. Yeah. Typical cod fight. Like, it wasn't a half hour duel. No, you know, no. It was a 50 pair, even in a canoe. But I think because the water was quite warm being summer, yep. it's, it's, its metabolism was a bit high and it certainly uh, gave me a bit of a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a fight. And then getting it up to the canoe, did you get on the bank to land it or did you, were you, yeah, able, to land, uh, were you able to land it right I think I landed it in the canoe. Yeah. I think I landed it in the canoe, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's a good effort on your own. Yeah, I was pretty stoked. <laughs> So now with, uh, with what you do with fishing, with your YouTube channel, where to now for you? Where, where to now for Robbie Alexander? I, I love my YouTube stuff. I'm just, I, don't, I don't know, I don't have a defined path with what I do. I love getting kids involved. Mm -hmm. I just love kids. I love taking kids fishing. I've got to be careful saying that because when people listen to this podcast, I'm going to get 35,000 messages tomorrow asking, <laughs> can you take me fishing? But where I can, I do like to get kids involved. I've just become a volunteer for the Make-A-Wish Foundation to help sick kids or kids yep. that aren't well. And I'm hoping that I can use the profile that I've built to leverage, to earn a bit of money to help those those kids that are struggling, you know. That's something I'm sort of moving towards. But as far as my YouTube channel goes, it's just business as usual. I can't see much changing. So just take every day as it comes, enjoy yeah. every day. Go to work on the days I'm rostered to go to work. And go fishing on the days I'm not rostered to go to work. <laughs> Look at my lawns for about four weeks and how much they need to be mowed and wait until I uh, need to be slashed. <laughs> <laughs> Before you bother doing it. It's the way to live, that's the way to live. So one other thing, if you could tell your younger self something, what, what would that be? If you go back, say 20 years, I don't know where you were at that point in your life, but if there was something you could tell your younger self, what would that be about life in general? About life in general. Not to worry about what other people think of you. When I started, I copped a fair bit of flack. Like even now, I'm openly talking about the Ovens River and the King River. When I first started, I copped a lot of flack for that. I even copped flack off people that had written articles on those rivers. Mm -hmm. For some reason, they didn't like me doing it when they'd done it. And I used to take it to heart a bit. But as I've gotten older, I've just learned, you know, stuff them, just keep doing what I'm doing. And if they don't like me, they don't have to like me. I'd probably tell myself, Robbie, as you get older, people aren't going to like you. Don't worry about it. 
just keep doing what you're doing and uh, you can't make everybody happy. Exactly, and, and, and I totally agree. And that's what I do with social fishing. We share where we catch fish. And, and, and a lot of actually, what I've found, a lot of people actually appreciate that because you know, because there's not a lot of that around. Exactly. So the people who fish those spots probably aren't really all that happy, but when it comes to blaring or, or a lake or a river, I'm happy to tell people where we caught fish and, and it seems to get a great response. And like you said, don't worry what people think about you, just do what well, makes that's you happy. Well, 99% of people are happy to help each other. They're good people, you yeah. know. I, I have this rule, I, a lot of the time I don't talk about the small trout, trout streams that I fish because the numbers are down and they can't handle the pressure. Yeah, exactly. And even with my Murray Cod, a lot of the waterways I fish can handle the pressure, but I access them through private property and that's a sad part of life that people will cut fences and leave rubbish on the ground. Yeah. So I never, out of respect for the people that are kind enough to let me on their property, I don't tell people when I'm on their property. But if I go somewhere public with public access, I'm always happy to help people out and I'll do the best I can to help people. Yeah. And, exactly. then, and I, I help people behind the scenes as well, not so, so much publicly. Yeah. I've got a, um, a Patreon account, and this isn't just a plug for my Patreon account, but I've got a Patreon account, and those people, they, they pay me $3 a month. So even though it's not much, it shows that they're genuine, mm -hmm. and I'm happy to help them out with a lot tighter. Like, I'll tell people when I'm in public places, but these guys I'll help, I'll go into a lot more detail with, if that makes sense, just because I know they're genuine people. And it's a way of supporting what, you, what you're doing. It is. Really, because your, your camera gear's not free, you know, no, all, the, all the stuff you buy to, to put this, because you could, you could, just go out and fish and you could just you know you could you didn't have to share as much and, and put as much effort into producing good content on your youtube channel so all this stuff costs money so that's a way of supporting you absolutely then that, that's what it's all about like it uh, it costs money for everything like you say the camera gear is not free a lot of fishing gear is free now a lot of stuff i get sponsored people like to give me stuff to use and whatever a yep. lot of that stuff's free but petrol's never free <laughs> until bp come on board you know i actually have been keeping a, a record of my expenses lately and 99 percent of my expenses for what i do it comes from petrol mm. good example i went up to Yorana the other day fishing up in the riverina in new south wales probably spent 50 bucks on petrol i made a video that sent me 20 dollars in revenue <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've partly covered the cost of the uh, the thing. But then when someone messaged me and said, where exactly is that spot? I want to take my kid. I said, you hit me up on Patreon and I'll tell you. So there's another $3. So now I'm up to $23 in <laughs> revenue. I'm, I'm recuperating the cost of what it cost me to get up there and make that video. Yeah. But I'd still be going up there and making it regardless. It's just, I love that area. It's just a good way of, of supporting you. And, and when people do sign up to your Patreon account, they're going to get more information from you. Exactly. And, and that little bit of money that you earn back from that, whether it's the ad revenue or from Patreon, what it means is I can go up again and make another video in the same spot. I'll make yeah. two up there in a week. Yep. I might not be able to afford that without the support that comes in from what I do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, last of all, last question i got for you. Um, and I know I've asked quite a few and you've shared quite a lot of stuff in this episode. So, I really do appreciate it. But what is your secret to success? Or what is the most important thing you live by and that you could share to help others? Love what you do. Do it out of love. You know, a lot of people start YouTube channels and get monetized and try and earn money through AdSense and stuff. Don't let that be the motivator. I actually had 500,000 views on my YouTube channel before I even became a partner and got monetized. I never set out with, I didn't even know I could. I didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Someone said, how come you're not running ads and earning money? I said, what do you mean? Can I do that, can I? Because that was never my incentive. I, I, my big advice is don't let the money become a motivator. And another good example, last Saturday, 20 degree day, 18 degrees, whatever it was, was the last day of crayfishing season and the last day of cod season. And I was all week at work, what am I gonna do Saturday? Will I go craying or will I go cod fishing? I thought, I'll go craying in the morning, then I'll go cod fishing. And on the day, you know what I've done? Neither. I went out and <laughs> photographed some snakes over at the Winton Wetlands because I love reptiles. I thought, I, I sort of assessed the situation and I thought, if I go out crayfishing or, or cod fishing today to make these videos, I'm only going to make the videos. I'm not going because I want to. Right. I want to go over and take photos of snakes because it's a warm day. Yep. So I think the key here is that everyone needs to understand, do what you want to. You do, do what you want and just allow life to, to follow, allow things to follow. To go out and make the video solely for the case sake of making a video is not gonna work. Exactly, so basically do what you would do in any day as a hobby and rather than if say, do what you do even if you wouldn't be paid for it. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Do do what you do. Do what you want to do. Like it goes back to what I said earlier. Be yourself. Mm -hmm. Whether you've got a stutter, whether you've got crooked teeth like me and a, and a fat gut, it doesn't matter. Just be yourself at all times, and then go fishing as you normally would go fishing. 
document it. Gary Vaynerchuk has a saying that I really like, and that is document, don't create. Just document what you're doing, and if people want to be able to do what you're doing, they'll follow your adventures so that they can see how you're doing it. Yeah. So that's that's my big advice. Just just always be authentic. And then it'll follow from there. And if and if if the world wants you to do it, the money will come in and allow you to do it forever. Exactly, exactly right. That's exactly right. So follow your passion and come across as genuine. I really appreciate it, mate. Uh, thank you very much for joining me in this episode. You covered some great stuff. We talked a little bit about some fishing stuff and also about some more life stuff and experiences around fishing. I know you're about to go for a walk and take some photos yep. and trout opening this weekend. You're going to be listening to this just after, a few weeks after we've recorded this interview. So By this stage, by the time you guys listen to this, I will have outfished Wayne Gardner, a.k.a. Straubs, 10 to 1. <laughs> we can't wait to see. <laughs> it's the only time I ever have any competitive nature when I go fishing with, with Straubs. Yeah, so there's a bit, there's, there's echo back a little bit. Oh, yeah, we used to work together years ago and I just, uh, I just like taking a mickey out of him to be honest. Nice, nice. I like to give back what he gives me. Good stuff. All right. <laughs> I appreciate it, Robbie. Thank you very much for joining me today. No worries. Thank you very much, Reese. And there you have it, guys. How awesome was that episode with the YouTube legend himself? I know so many of you have sat down and watched one of his videos at some stage and it was an honor to sit down on this occasion and have such a great in-depth chat with Robbie about fishing and his life. And what I love is just the outlook he takes on life, how he approaches every day and just how much passion he has for fishing and the fact that he loves sharing it with everybody through his videos. Like he said throughout the episode, as a rule for life, just be yourself. No matter what you do, follow your passion. And if I can add to this advice, never ever be someone that you're not because if you do, you won't be fulfilled in life. I really hope you guys enjoyed that episode and if you haven't already, jump onto YouTube and give Robbie a follow at Robbie Fishing. He creates plenty of content with a mix of everything from educational content to fishing action and plenty of laughs. As he said, he doesn't edit much out. Now, once again, a massive thank you to our sponsor, Spotter sunglasses. As I've said, I love the quality products that they produce and I never ever go fishing without them. Every trip is not only more successful, but it's more vibrant when looking through a pair of spotters. Even sometimes during a trip, I take them off and can't believe how much of a difference they make on my entire experience for a day's fishing out on the water. For not only fishing, but protection for your eyes and also the style. The photos are all about style when you're holding a fish. I've been wearing them since I started fishing and will continue to do so for a very long time. Now, for more information, make sure you jump onto their website, spotters.com.au. And once again, a massive thank you to them for sponsoring this episode. Now, guys, don't forget the free Freshwater mini-series. This exciting new series is coming this Sunday. So keep an eye out for it. And if you do, jump on and watch it. Please let me know what you think. And also, don't forget to submit your listener questions for the next episode of the podcast. We'll sit down and answer them all. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, please let me know and jump onto Apple Podcasts and leave a review and your comments. Thanks, guys, for listening. It was an incredible episode with Robbie. And until the next episode, good luck with your fishing trips, and I'll be talking to you very soon.